Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mama the Hard Kid. I had not realized just how much progress we'd been making until we hit this last weekend, and everything kind of went back to not not square one. Square one was terrifying. Maybe square five, and we'd been sitting at square nine or ten in the success realm, maybe only eight. But when we had our rough weekend this weekend, I remembered. So first, let me kind of give you an outline of what happened, and then I can compare the two pieces together. So my little lady, she's in kindergarten, and when she was in kindergarten, there was a ruckus at school. Things did not go well. She came home. She was still ruckusy, and then her sister got in trouble. And when her sister got in trouble, it was like, and it was by me, it was like she'd lost every ounce of being able to hold herself in and she flipped back into the her that she used to be. And part of me, who still finds this child quite hard sometimes, part of me was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about you. <laughs> like this this separate personality. This one who screams and yells and and like switches her face just to make you mad. And the switcher face thing, I'm trying to figure out how to describe that to you. So I think I've explained it in the past like a horror movie when the villain gets offended and so they're like like you can see the revenge and the vitriol in their face. And that is what was happening. So she'd already been having a hard time. Her sister had been on her case for, I think the kids at school had been making fun of her. And so I think she was just in a really fragile place. And so by the time I'm scolding sister, little lady is so mad. (laughs) She just freaks out. I had to put her in a hold. I have not done that in almost a year. Yeah, because right now it's the end of September. And I think the last time she freaked out was in November. No, I think it was in December of last year. So it's been quite a while, quite a while since I have had to physically restrain her because of how crazy she's gotten because she is flailing around and hurting herself or, you know, threatening to hurt others or all these things. And we jumped back into that 40 steps back girl that was so hard and I couldn't do it. I started shutting down and I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to because there's this part of me. I was making dinner and she is sitting on this stool. Actually, I was as bottling peaches, but I don't think it really matters. But she's sitting on this stool and she's doing all of her stuff, but I'm having her sit there because I need to get my work done. So she is screaming at me and yelling at me and being herself. And I just kept telling myself, you can do this. She's done this before. It's been such a big break. You know, you can do this. But there was this response, this what I assume is a PTSD response, where I just started shutting down. I couldn't help it. And I mean, my arms are moving and my body's moving. But I was instantly going into this numbness that was to protect myself from all the crazy that was going to happen. 
but I'll tell you what I did. So I first want to clarify. I am not a perfect parent. I have audio clips and I take these audio clips because they like, number one, I'm just flabbergasted that the world can appear this way. And I, and I also kind of just want to kind of be like, look, you guys see, see, isn't this, isn't this hard? That's why I'm frazzled kind of a thing. Um, I don't really play them for anybody except my mom. (laughs) I don't really, I don't, I think I've had her therapist listen to one and I don't think her therapist thought it was a big deal. But one of the problems I have with the audio, I, I, I take a bunch of audio because I want people to know if it ever becomes a place of a false accusation that, that this is kind of a thing that she does. But I also wanted to, so Friday morning, she loses her mind. So I keep her home from school because she's not doing well. And I can't have her go into an environment at school where she's like this, because I personally think it's kind of dangerous for the people around her. So I keep her home, but I'm still working on projects at home. I'm still bottling peaches. I'm still doing laundry. Like I'm still doing things, but we know how to do this. She's only been in kindergarten for a month. So we know, you know, this is what life was until a month ago. So I'm keeping her busy because I need to get especially the peaches done. I need to do that. That's time sensitive. Everything's all over everywhere. It's it's time to get it done. So I made the mistake. of putting her in front of the computer. And I can see the computer from when I'm doing peaches. I, it's, it's viewable from my kitchen. And I put her on a kids learning app on the computer website. So she's doing that, but she's doing that for quite a while. It was three, even maybe four hours where I'm running downstairs and throwing a load of laundry in and running back upstairs and, and I'm getting stuff done because I have to get stuff done. And I'm keeping her in a state of I'm not freaking out. But I made the decision to use screens. And that for her was a bad idea. But because it's been so long, it didn't I forgot how bad of an idea it was. So we go pick up her siblings from school and then we come back home. And by the time we're back home, she's lost it. And she's already been screaming for, you know, a couple dozen minutes. Like we, she's kicking at things and she won't get out of the car. And I'm trying to get her out of the car and she's running from one side to the other. And she, so I open the back of my car so I can get her and, and she then runs to the other side and it's just me. So I, my other kids are inside or they would have helped me, but I'm just trying to get her out. I finally get her out. She's screaming like a madman. And of course, my neighbors are outside. So that was fun. So I'm impatient at this point And I am kind of snarky right back, which I hate talking about this because I'm not a perfect person. I can't stay patient forever. But I wish I could so that I could be like that ultimate example person. (laughs) But I was getting mad. I was getting so mad. And she was just like offended. Sometimes when she when I get mad, she's pleased. But this time she was offended that I was mad. And so then that 
amped up her behaviors. And so by the time I walk in the house, my other kid says something, it makes me respond in a snarky way because I've got this crazy screaming lunatic in my hands who's like telling me she's going to do all this stuff to me. And then I go and finally get the living rooms like kind of where we congregate and talk about stuff. I finally get in there. It turns into something with this older child. And then the little one is so mad that I would yell at this older child. Because yes, I know. I wish that I didn't yell, but I do. So there it goes. And she is just losing her mind. And she's screaming and throwing stuff and and running into things. Like it's it really is kind of weird because this weekend I also had a meltdown and it was also very embarrassing and I still can't get to anything like this. I can't. I mean, I can yell and I can, you know, stomp away and I can be so mad, but I can't do this. And I don't think I ever, ever had it in me to be able to reach the point that she can reach But so then she's just going crazy. And so I have to hold her. But then she's angry because I'm holding her. And so it's it takes a good like two or three minutes for her to realize that it's just time to calm down. But she doesn't like it. And she's screaming some more. And then she's like, really offended this time, really offended that I would think that I had to restrain her because she does hate having to be restrained. And what that looks like at our house is one of two or three holds. I prefer two of them. And I'll explain why. There's a couple of holds where you sit down and like I put my back to the couch and she is sitting kind of like my legs are out in a V and she's sitting in the V and I am like hugging her tight. That's one of the holds. I don't like that one because she headbutts me. So I don't, I use that one, but I don't love that one. And the other one is I have her lay on the ground and I kneel over her and hold her arms out to the side. So, cause she can't lift them that way. It's, she can't use her body's momentum to twist and get out. So I have to hold them out kind of in a T. This is awful. <laughs> you, I, n- as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, this is ludicrous. Like, it's normal. I mean, this kind of thing happens to people a lot. I it, And it used to happen often because she used to punch herself in the face a lot. And she used to scratch her body till she bled. And so I would have to hold her to keep her from hurting herself. Now it's more so to keep her from breaking things and to keep her from hurting other people. She sort of has has dropped a little bit of that hurting herself stuff. She does not do that very often because I don't think she likes it. Because now again that she's on her medication, she can feel the pain like she couldn't feel it before. So she's like, ugh, I just punched myself in the face. And that's, I actually hate that kind of a (laughs) kind of a thing. She'll still sometimes do it for like a shock value, but it's not as hard as it used to be. It used to be really hard and her scratches used to be quite deep. But now she just does it kind of as a shock value sort of situation. So I'm kneeling over her (laughs) and, and I've got her arms out. And of course, 
I think this sort of triggered her into a little bit of a PTSD because I think she went back to all the other times where she's had to have been held like that. And if I could have gone back and done it again, I'd have just held her across my lap. And that's the one that's the one that I also do is because she's so little still, I can hold her across my lap, stick her arms in to her stomach and like press up against myself. And I like that one a lot because the kids need the pressure. It's kind of, um, there's actually like a term for it where, you know, when you pick up a baby who's upset and you kind of hold them, I want you to think of it this way. So when your child gets hurt, you hug them differently for the depth of pain that they feel. So if they get a tiny little scratch or bonk into the table, you give them a light hug. And if they've broken a bone, you are wrapping them up and you are hugging them. I'm going to use the word tighter, but I think you, I think, you know, it's not like ridiculously tight, but you hug them tighter based on the amount of regulation that they need. So when she's losing her mind, I used to stick my little foam earplugs in and then sit her across my lap and hold her tight so that she could have that regulation. I mean, of course, not too tight, though I do have to be honest, there have been times where she's like, I can't breathe. And so I loosen up and then she knows that I loosen up. So she always says that she can't breathe now. even though, even though I know that it's not too tight. So you just do your best. Um, it's very important, of course, not to hurt your child. But I had to do the other one. And I wish I had done the snuggly one, because I think that that one provides her a comfort. And I think the one where I'm just holding on to her doesn't provide her any comfort. And I think that triggered her into a place where she was already upset. She was already lost it. And then she went and overflowed for quite a while after that. You know, it's interesting because I do think we underestimate the power of an appropriate touch. The power of reaching out and when it's appropriate, touching someone on the arm or, or, if they need a hug, giving them a hug. Like I really think we undervalue that. And I think because a few bad people have ruined it for a lot of children, I think children are really missing out on those physical representations of love or comfort. I think, I think physical touch in an appropriate, that sound, that was too close. I have to clarify in an appropriate way is so critical. I mean, I think of this adorable lady in my neighborhood who's probably 30, almost 40 years older than I am. And she will reach out and she will touch my arm when she's talking to me. And I just think, oh, (laughs) it's just, it's just nice. It's just a connective piece. But unfortunately, because some of these kids come from a place where people have abused the touching and the physical, whether it be sexual or whether it be violent, this becomes a a cautious area for a lot of these children where you have to say, I don't know, but I need to 
communicate this comfort to this child without giving them that place to trip their trigger back. And so I don't think my daughter was physically abused, but I mean, I'm not sure. But I do know that because her life with me was so chaotic, that when she remembers having to be in these holds, I think it puts her back there, which is a very horrible place for her to go. Now, fortunately, she's a very intelligent kid. And there were moments this weekend that I'm just going to interrupt the story and say, where she and I talked about these very feelings. And I say, hey, when this happened, I think that that hurt your feelings. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I hated it. You, she goes, I couldn't breathe. And it was funny because there was nothing, no part of my body is touching a part of her that affects breathing. I am kneeling to the side of her because she's tall, she's small. And then I have my hands on her like wrist area and I hold it like, um, because her wrists are small, I can do it. I hold it like a circle around her wrist. And then my two fingers are my thumb and my pointer finger are around her wrist. And then my three fingers are up. And then I push my thumb into the ground and use my three fingers to kind of press into the ground so that I'm not putting any of my weight on her wrist. So just as a clarifying point, I have my own strength against her because I am way bigger than her. This works for us. If she was comparable to my size, this I wouldn't be able to hold her down this way. But because she's little, I can do this. It's fairly basic it works out. But I also think this is why it's such a critical piece of the attachment therapy to have those snuggly moments that I've talked about in the past where we have our special drink and she has it in a sippy cup and I snuggle her and we watch television together because we have to form a situation in which the physical connection between the two of us, which sounds so weird to say, but I think you know what I'm saying, is okay. Where we hit a place where this is okay. And there are times when it's okay. And we're able to form those connections that weren't there at the beginning. So here we go back into the story. She's lost her mind. I still have stuff I need to do. So because if I waited for her to regulate her emotions, I would never get anything done. So I have this stool that is in my kitchen and she sits on it while I'm doing stuff in the kitchen. And what's really funny is she's quite good at sitting on this stool. For some reason, her body just understands these boundaries like in a way that it doesn't work in other instances. So she just sits on the stool and then she screams and then that's where I start shutting down and then I can't do anything else. It's almost as if my brain just quit working where people would ask me a question and I would just, it would take so long for my brain to compute what they had said and I couldn't smile. I was just kind of dead inside and I didn't expect this kind of reaction after having had such a break from her that I, and I, and I'm in a better place. I didn't expect this to happen. 
but it did. (laughs) And it bled into the next day and into the next day. And it was an incredibly hard day because what I observed is when I started shutting down, I noticed my three children who are not this brand of hard as the youngest child. I noticed them all start to shift too. Because I think we forget the impact it has on the other kids that there is one ridiculously hard kid. And they call them glass children because they are seen through to deal with other things. And I'm going to go into that one time. I'm really hoping to talk to my kids and get more insight and talk to them about it. But because they get overlooked and they see these behaviors shifting back and they see me shifting back, that all of a sudden they started shifting back. My daughter started doing, my oldest daughter started doing some of the ticks that she does. And my, and my middle son started doing, I have two middle sons, so that's confusing. But he started doing some of the behaviors that he'd done before that had kind of been finding themselves over the last few months because we had summer when we're all together and then we started school. And so I, it wasn't the same as when we had constant one-on-one time because the constant one-on-one time was really hard for her because of her reactive attachment disorder. So it was a whole shift in the house and that was chaos. And I forgot just how much chaos I lived in every minute of the day. I just kept saying to myself, I don't know how you did this. How did you do this? I don't know how you did this. How did you do this? And I even texted my mom and I was like, I don't know how I did this. And I'm trying to tell my husband and he only understands in the way that he can, but I I just couldn't believe it. It really put into perspective just how much people cannot relate because even those of us who can forget and it's kind of in a way devastating, but I still hope you know that I still have support for you and I believe you and I wish I had all of the answers for you because I would love to be able to offer that to you. I would love to be able to offer that to myself, but just know with as much as I can offer it to you, I believe you and I understand that it is so hard when you are living in a world where nobody believes you because they cannot wrap their head around the fact that it can get as bad as it does. Because if you were in a a relationship, a married relationship, and someone treated you this way, you would be gone. You would leave because there wasn't for a very long time, even any of that compensating love, there's an abuse cycle. And the abuse cycle usually goes through lots and lots and lots of love and then lots and lots and lots of anger and then lots and lots and lots of compensating love. But when you're in this situation and there's no compensating love, you're like, bye, (laughs) I don't need this. But since it's your child, you are in charge of this child for 18 years. You have to stick this relationship out for 18 years and you can scream from the rooftops just how hard it is, but people are not going to understand. 
but I still believe you. I still believe you that it is that hard. So the best way that we combat this situation is with sleep. So I give her her melatonin at bedtime. And then I don't need to stay with her because she is not comforted by the fact that I stay with her. But I try to stay close to her so that she can hear me. And so that she knows that I am there. Because for some reason, that is really comforting to her. Because if I head to a different part of the house, and she cannot hear me anymore, then it to her sort of feeds into that abandonment stuff, I imagine. And that becomes problematic. So I try to have soft songs on things that are comforting, and to have her sleep as much as possible. Now, some of you are like, my kid doesn't sleep. I don't know what to do. My recommendation, which is I'm just me, I don't have your kid, I don't know all the things, but my recommendation would be to compensate by staying where you can be seen. And that could mean putting your headphones on and watching a movie while you're in the same room. Or it could be that your child sleeps in the living room while you're doing something in the kitchen. I would compensate by being somewhere that you can be seen. Because the connective piece for these children that have reactive attachment disorder is when they break that feeling of attachment, it's gone. You are just in spiral mode again. And so when you're already in spiral mode, I think of it like Spider-Man and he shoots the webs out. I'm like, you have to shoot the webs out to grasp hold of whatever you can. And so if they're super mad at you for whatever reason, you have to hit the areas to kind of anchor back on these tiny little anchors. And then once you build up a whole wall of tiny little anchors, you end up having a little bit of security for this child. So I try to offer comfort. And when she has calmed down, I try to say, okay, let's talk about this. Let's go over what happened. Why don't you tell me what you thought? Why don't I tell you what this is? There were were times, because again, I, I lost my mind this weekend. I was, oh, I was just so angry. And it was because everyone started spiraling. And then I had already spiraled. I was the second one. So when everyone else starts spiraling, we are losing control of our entire household. And it was in a way, incredibly heartbreaking to know that this type of behavior has this big of an effect on my entire family. But we call everybody in for a meeting. We say, hey, everything spiraled out of control. How do you guys all feel about this? And sometimes what comes out is quite nasty and it's not nice. And I just say, hey, there's another better way that you can talk about this. But I do think there's a benefit to being able to allow your other children to say their piece about what is happening. Because this is incredibly hard for them just incredibly hard for them. Because when they gained a sister, my kids lost half of their mom. And I would even dare say it's probably closer to three fourths. Because three fourths of my attention went to her and her alone. 
And that's hard to reconcile as a parent. It just, I mean, I could go on for hours about how I try to balance that in my mind, but I'm not going to touch on it here. But we had our talk. She told me about how offended she was that I would yell at her sister. And then we talked through the day as in like, (laughs) I'm not referring to a time. I'm referring to the fact that we made a verbal timeline of the day where we say, hey, this is what happened. And that seemed to lead to this. And that seemed to lead to that. And that seemed to lead to this. And this is why it's not okay. Those kind of things break it down for her. And, and I wish I could do that with my other kids because my other kids really need it. But that's what I did for her because I needed her to regulate so that she could go to school this morning. I needed her to regulate so that our entire family wasn't spiraling into the despair cycle. I needed her to be regulated. And unfortunately, that is how invasive reactive attachment disorder is in your family, is that that kid and that kid alone kind of determines what the entire home is feeling like. They say in some sort of things that it's the mom and the mom who regulates what the house feels like. And I can definitely understand why they say that. But in the case of somebody with such high emotions and needs and so many diagnoses that my daughter has, it is her who determines the energy of the house. And I try very hard to mitigate that, but hers is bigger and hers is stronger. <laughs> and and as strong as I feel that I am, I she beats me. So I try my best to control the storm before it happens. I try my best to control it when it happens. And I try my best to educate her after it happens. But unfortunately, the impact is gigantic. And I really am just really feeling for my three other children who are often kind of the casualties of the storm. And what I mean is that they are injured just because the storm is happening. Just because the youngest is so full of all of those things that my other children are impacted you know, just because it's happening. But my game plan from here is to when my children get home from school, to have a discussion with each one of them, to make sure that I give a little bit of time because they each have things that are going on at school and they each have things that are going on just because they're human and, and they're going through difficult times in their life. And to be able to try to offer myself to them as a way to sort of, again, spin those little pieces of web, try to get anchored for all of my children to let them know that I am trying to be there for them and that I am a resource for them because things just got so out of control. And again, for all of us, again, I don't think a single person in this house made it through this weekend without losing it in one way or another because of these original detaching behaviors. And even though it's really hard to be that trauma sponge that soaks up the trauma and then holds it, just being aware that you are that trauma sponge can help you give yourself a little bit of grace for the things that are happening. Just like you give a little bit of grace 
to your child for knowing that they didn't put themselves in this circumstance, though I acknowledge plenty of hard kids have put themselves in that situation. But in our instance, it wasn't my child who exposed herself to alcohol in utero. It wasn't my child who exposed herself to drugs and had to put herself through withdrawals. And it wasn't my child who neglected themselves. So in this case, I'm able to give her a little grace for that. But also, I'm able to give my other children a little grace knowing that they have their own tiny little sponges about the situation. And I'm able to give myself some grace knowing that being a trauma sponge is hard. It's hard to collect somebody else's trauma when they have a massive ability to secrete more trauma. Secrete's a gross word, but I think it still gets the point across where they're just oozing the problems from their trauma and you're doing the best to soak that up into the sponge. And unfortunately, there are those casualties, but allowing yourself the grace and by casualties, I mean injuries, but I hope, I hope that there's some way to turn off her spigot of releasing her And I don't even want to turn it off. I want it to run dry. I want her trauma to heal so that it's not constantly oozing out all the time. And it doesn't have to be collected by the sponge. And before this weekend, I would say we'd actually done a fairly good job at really slowing down the level in which the trauma is oozing out in a way that it was because I do think that there is healing going on there. I think her wounds are healing, even though it did rip open a little bit this weekend. But after such a traumatic weekend, which was hardly traumatic compared to what it used to be, but still fairly traumatic, all we can do is take a minute, take a breath, sigh like a crazy person for a few hours, and then regroup. You are capable of doing this. You are capable of coming back together and you are stronger than you realize. I wish you every bit of good in the world and know that I'm on your side because I believe you that it really is this hard. Thank you so much for joining. Have a great day.